0: This is Greg Lozunski, and you're listening to Baseball BBQ.
1: Hi, this is Gary Mack of the Mets Musings Podcast, and you're listening to Jeff and Len on Baseball and Barbecue, one of my favorite podcasts, and I know it's one of yours, too. The only problem is... After I get done listening to it, I'm hungry. Alright guys, take it away. It's episode number 34. Welcome to Baseball and BBQ, where the BBQ stands for... Barbecue. This is Jeff Cohen. And you are... Len Aberman. And I'm excited to be here. I'm very
2: excited for this episode. Oh yeah. This is a, a real treat. Tell us why. Why? Well, if you ever listen to the radio on a Sunday morning in New York, you get a WFAN, all, and you can get this on the internet so everybody yep. can hear it. 9 o'clock Sunday morning is Talking Baseball with Ed Randall. Ed Randall? Ed Randall. Also, on Saturday mornings, he does it on uh, Sirius XM Radio, MLB Network. He sounds like a big deal.
1: He is a big deal. Can you imagine if we got him to be on our podcast? (laughs) Nah. Funny
2: you should say that. Really? We have Ed Randall. No way! Way!
1: (laughs) 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 Yes, guys, we do. Ed Randall, damn nice guy, came on our podcast, and I think you guys are going to like it. We asked him a lot of questions. He gave us a lot of answers, and hopefully
2: they match. (laughs) Right. No, it was it was very enjoyable. We'll we'll put that on in a few minutes. But first, we have some mail, don't we?
1: Mail time. Mail time. The mail's here. Come on. Here's the mail. It never fails. It makes me want to wag my tail. When it comes, I want to wail. All right, so we have a couple of... Uh, Messages to read, but first, here's the first one. This comes from Rob own. It's titled, Southpaws and Baseball. Hey, Jeff and Len, enjoying all of your episodes regarding the term Southpaw, attributed to its roots in boxing, but I heard a different explanation from Gary Cohen, who has been announcing for the Mets in the broadcast booth since 1989. He was bantering with Keith Hernandez during a recent game around the term Southpaw. He referenced an apparent guideline that all major league stadiums, it is desirable that the line from home base through the pitcher's plate to second base shall run east-northeast. A stadium positioned in this way would have a left-handed pitcher have their left arm face south when they pitch, thus the term Southpaw. Keep up the great work. All right.
2: Oh, how about that? Thank you, Rob. Thanks, Rob.
1: Thank you very much. If, for those of you who don't know why he's bringing that up, shame on you, because you should know, because it was in our last episode, episode number 33, which if you're listening to 34, you should have listened to 33. No, I'm just, I'm just kidding. You can skip around. But seriously, we talked about baseball terms, like right. southpaw. Baltimore chop. chop, right? Being in a corn in a pickle, can of corn, yes, right. So, if if you're interested in knowing about those terms, listen to episode 33. Now, let's hear um, a uh, message from another one of our listeners. His name is Larry Seufer. Jeff, yeah. this one is actually directed at you, at me. Yes, it's in a good. He, you can tell he listens to the show. Yeah. And it's in a good-natured way. Okay. Okay, but he is doing a little ribbing. Ribbing? It's a little ribbing. All right. Okay. So, here's what he says. You know, it's funny. If Jeff was around in 1870, whatever, he would have a baseball rant about starting to throw overhand by pitchers. (laughs) He would say baseball has always been an underhanded game for pitchers. And then somehow he would say that in the future there will be a guy named Mariano Rivera. And he will throw overhand instead of underhand. And I hate him. <laughs> <laughs> Boy he shows you he listens yes, and he has
2: he has you figured out to a team. Well, I don't know about that, <laughs> but uh, you know what, I will say that it's you know, we all enjoy baseball. That that's a good thing, and you know, this kind of ripping is fine. Exactly. No, that's that's uh, that's cool. I can dig it. Right. And
1: and he also he also says he'd like to hear us give our personal Hall of Famers, guys that will never make it, but impressed us with the way they played for being clutch, solid, good, whatever. Okay. He says that he likes guys like Paul O'Neill. Okay. Felix Mion. Yeah. Danny, D- Danny Jackson.
2: Danny Jackson. And Dave Kingman. Dave Kingman. Well, I would disagree with those, but I will say I will put in the name, uh, how about Keith Hernandez?
1: Yeah. Well, Keith Hernandez should be in the Hall of Fame.
2: Well, that wasn't right? the
1: question, was it? No, it wasn't. Um, you know, it's funny that he mentions Dave Kingman because Dave Kingman had one really good year. Wasn't with the Mets. Of course not. It was with the Cubs. <laughs> yeah, okay. I think the Mets had traded him to the Cubs. Now, this is off the top of my head, but I think he batted like 280-something. Right, here, that one one decent right. year, yes. I think he had 30-plus home runs. Right. Um, And for him, he had, you know, that's a really good average. Sure. But I just remember Dave Kingman, he hit it far when he hit it. Right. But it was either strikeout or hit it out of the park. I don't remember much, but I do. You know the thing I do remember about Dave Kingman is he would uh, he would bunt. He would lay down a bunt once in a while. That I don't remember. You don't remember Dave Kingman doing that? No. I could have sworn Dave Kingman would once in a while because they would play him far back. Uh huh. And I remember him laying down a bunt, but okay. I was a kid. So maybe if if you guys remember that, let us know. Oh, perfect
2: segue. How would they contact the show to let us know? Well, let us know. You can email the show. Our email address is baseball and bbq at gmail.com. Call the show. Uh, phone number is 855. I'm sorry, 516-855-8214. That's... 5168558214. Join our Facebook page and leave a message.
1: Yes, yeah, join the Facebook page. You you could see that we've been posting some videos, some pictures, people post comments. Also, we have a website which we've been uh keeping up with. Yes. A- after you'll see after every episode is posted, uh you can go on the website, you can listen to the episode from the website and We'll post a picture or two or three pertaining to the show. Our website is baseball and spelled out and so it's baseball and B-B-Q, dot weebly
2: dot com. And please do us a favor and rate rate and review us. Yes, rate us. And rate and review us, and and pass the word. Pass the word, and you're gonna like this interview today. So. Definitely yeah. pass this word.
1: Pass the word around and as as I heard on another show, they say, Tell your friends, tell, tell your friends, friends. <laughs> So please guys, our listener base is growing and we really hope you
2: guys are enjoying the show. And with that, why don't we get to our interview with Ed Randall? Ed Randall is a longtime New York radio and T V personality and a published author. He hosts Saturday morning radio program Remember When nationally on SiriusXM MLB network radio with Kevin Kennedy and Ed Randall's Talking Baseball, which airs on New York's WFAN radio on Sunday morning. He spent seven years as a minor league baseball play-by-play broadcaster and even pinched it as a public address announcer in the original Yankee Stadium for the legendary Bob Shepard. Mr. Randall founded a nonprofit charity, Ed Randall's fan for the Cure, which at, which educates about prostate cancer. Ed, early detection is the key. Welcome to Baseball and BBQ, Ed Randall.
0: Great to be with you guys. Thanks for having me.
2: Ed, I first met you at the 2013 All-Star Game Fan, Fan Fest at Jacob Javits Center with my, at the time, 13-year-old boy, and you handed me some information about prostate cancer. Ever since then, my doctor takes this, the blood test, and that blood test is part of my yearly yearly physical. So uh, I just want to thank you, it's it's very important, very important message, I know early detection is the key, and uh, why don't we we start there, how's that charity going? Uh, It's
0: uh, wonderful, thank you, Uh, we are uh, in the space where we do prostate cancer awareness and education, Uh, we are about to embark on our 13th year in minor league baseball, what we call our baseball road trip, where we dispense information to uh, fans. All around the country, uh, in the 39 states that minor league baseball has played, we have been in more than a thousand ballparks over the first 12 years, and I'm proud to say we're an official uh, charitable partner of minor league baseball, of which is only three others: ALS Foundation, Special Olympics, Boys and Girls Clubs, and ourselves. And uh, we just want to get. Uh, information into the hands of men to let them know that a simple PSA blood test could save their lives just as it did mine when I was diagnosed with cancer and that there is an almost uh, 99% cure rate of prostate
2: cancers detected early. That's
1: fantastic. Thank you. Thanks for doing
2: this. That's
0: just a simple blood test, right? Yep. Simple blood. uh, That's how my cancer was detected, a simple blood test. And at the time, I felt fine because prostate cancer in its earliest stages has no symptoms. So we just emphasize to men, we just want them to get to the doctor every single year, men beginning at the age of 45 or perhaps a little bit younger, if they have a history of prostate cancer in their families.
2: Okay, well, thank you. Very, much. very important message. Thank you. Uh, the second time I met you, and it was Len's first time, was at the 1969 Mets reunion at the Cradle of Aviation Museum on Long Island a couple of years ago. You remember that Ed?
1: Yeah it, was, yeah,
0: it was the EMC.
2: Yes. This being the 50th anniversary of that amazing team, what are your memories about that era of Mets baseball?
1: Oh, I don't know. You got a couple of hours. <laughs> I, I, uh, we we can give was, you all the, all the time you need. Well, I appreciate that, but it was uh,
0: in cap, encapsulating it. It was uh, a magical summer uh, for those that uh, were, uh, were Mets fans uh, because of the unexpected nature of it. Uh, they were, as we all know, uh, horrible uh, all those years. There was a, uh, a glimmer that they were a little bit better uh, in Gil Hodges' first year in 1968, but nobody in the world could have imagined what unfolded the following year in 1969. And uh, it was just an incredible summer. It was uh, Swoboda with the two, two run home runs off Steve Carlton in September with, uh, on a night in which Carlton struck out 19 Mets. Uh, it was a, a Sunday afternoon doubleheader in Pittsburgh at Old Forbes Field where uh, Kuzman and uh, Cardwell drove in the only runs, the pitchers, one nothing, 1-0, one nothing, doubleheader sweep. It was, uh, just, uh, it was Seaver's imperfect game with Jimmy Qualls at, uh, Shea Stadium. It, it was just an amazing time. Uh, uh, it, and it remains one of the most incredible achievements in the history of Major League Baseball. The fact that that team went out, won a hundred games, blew past the Chicago Cubs, finished the, well, finished winning the division by eight games, and then won, uh, in uh, the first ever NLCS, because baseball had divided into uh, divisions for the first time, and uh, beat the Atlanta Braves, out-hit the Atlanta Braves when their pitching failed them, and then uh, beat a 109-win team in the World Series with the Baltimore Orioles. It was incredible.
2: And they, they were they were difficult teams. I mean, the Braves were great, and, and so were. I mean, they had Hank Aaron uh, on that team, and, and of course, the, the mighty Orioles. It was just fantastic.
0: Yeah, they, they were just uh, phenomenal, phenomenal teams. There were, there were players on the Baltimore Orioles that are going to take that uh, World Series to their graves. Sure. Uh, some that I've spoken to through the years, they're just, uh, it remains a, a wound that will never heal.
1: Ed, why isn't Gil Hodges in the Hall of Fame, and will that ever be uh, rectified?
0: Well, they, they're going to put it up again for a vote uh, next year uh, for that particular category. And I don't know why. Uh, at the time of his retirement, he was the seventh all-time in home runs with 370. Uh, I believe the leading right-handed home run hitter at that time. And uh, won the first three gold gloves at first base, 57, 58, 59, and probably would have won it long before then had there been a gold glove presentation. Um, and a fantastic leader uh, for the Brooklyn Dodgers, of which there was no shortage of those. He was tremendous. I don't know why he's not in, but as time as time goes on, it's uh, I, I'm disturbed by the fact that the voters that are voting for him or not voting for him in this case on the on the committee, I just don't have a thorough uh, knowledge of his contributions, and I think part of it is also um, his having passed away at such an untimely time at the age of 47. Had he lived and Perhaps the Mets would have gotten back to a World Series um, and and won a World Series. I know that they did with Yogi after Gil passed away, but I think that uh, that would have enhanced his chances of getting in, just like Joe Torre never got in as a player, but he got in because of his work as a player and a
1: manager. Right, right. And I I have to tell you, the, um, the interview that I heard you do with Sharon Robinson was fantastic. And one of the one of the things that I love about when you interview is the, your passion for the for what you are talking about and who you're interviewing really comes through. So speaking of Sharon Robinson, we were just at the uh, New York what was it the New the York C- City Museum City of, of New York Museum. Yeah, uh, there's the, an exhibit there. Right. right. It it was it's uh, it's a small exhibit, but. Most of the items that are there, it says donated by the Jackie Robinson Museum, which we know Mm -hmm. is going to be opening in December. Are you involved at all with that museum?
0: Uh, No, not, but I'm just very anxious uh, to go there once it is, and uh, I'm just very glad that uh, finally the dream is going to become a reality.
1: Yeah, I, I agree. Yeah,
2: I can't wait for it to open up myself.
1: Another museum. We, we spoke to Bob Kendrick on this show, um, the president of the uh, Negro Leagues Museum, baseball museum in Kansas City. How I'm going to
0: have him on my show on Saturday. Oh, oh really? really? Yeah, yeah, I've had him on a few times. He, I, I love him. He's yeah, great. Yeah, he's
1: great. He's great. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Tell, tell him we say hello.
2: Right.
1: Uh, who, who was that? Yeah. <laughs> he's the best. He's yeah. a great storyteller. Yeah. Um, have you been to that museum? No I haven't
0: uh, I haven't been to Kansas City in years wow. uh, unfortunately but uh, if I do get back there that's uh, certainly a place that I want to visit.
1: Yeah we'd, we'd, we'd like to take that trip with you <laughs> yeah absolutely. <laughs> uh,
2: getting it, into baseball today and I, I recently read that Rob Manfred said that the universal DH won't happen until at least 2021 for the new collective bargaining agreement. Uh, do you see this happening and what is your opinion on it?
0: Well, I, I've, uh, I've mentioned on my show uh, many times that uh, I believe that the uh, the moment the the decline of Western civilization began when uh, Ron Bloomberg stepped into the batter's box in Fenway Park in 1973 as the first ever designated hitter. I can't stand it, uh, but it's it's in every league except the National League, and I understand that uh, it's going to be a collectively bargained item uh, when they sit down after the 2020 season. And uh, in exchange for uh, the imposition of the designated hitter in the National League starting in 2021, uh, they will give the teams the opportunity to have a 26 player. So it's going to be more jobs in exchange for having the the DH. Uh, I don't like it. I don't think it's baseball. I think it takes uh, strategy out of the game. Uh, It relegates the uh, bench players to a less significant role than in the National League. I like the double switch. It's, it's it's not baseball. If you're going to play 10 guys, then uh, put a keg of beer up in center field and call it softball. Well,
2: you know what, uh, Ed, I couldn't agree with you more. I mean, I, I can't stand the DH. I know it's, I, I think, it's, I'm pretty sure it's going to happen. Um, and I guess it's because it's the residue of the way pitchers are used today. They're only going, you know, five innings, five, six innings. So they're going to be pinched it anyway in the fifth, sixth in- inning anyway. So. I, I understand it, I don't like it either but that's that's the way it's going to happen again.
0: And, it, and it seemed to me that when it, w- w- in the earliest days of it that the, the intention was to speed up the game and yet the designated hitter, it slows down the game significantly and I, I find that ironic
2: yes, absolutely And I, you brought that up, I'm glad I'm going to go right to right my next question so what do you think about the job Rob Rantz is doing with the rule changes that involve uh, the pace of play the shift, pitch clocks and and the like, uh, you know. I think, you know, the, the replay is just is, is really slowing down the game. I mean, if you can't tell within 30 seconds whether a guy's safe or out at a base, it, it's you know, just leave, leave the call the way it is.
0: I think that uh, once you take the genie out of the bottle, which which they did with the designated hitter, then you have to be able to accept the fact that some of the reviews go on sometimes for uh, oh. A long time, and the game comes to the game comes to a halt. The uh, the intention is noble to, as they say, get it right, but uh, it's uh, uh, it it does interfere with the uh, with the pace of play, which has been uh, something that uh, Major League Baseball has really been trying to address for the last couple three years. And uh, but it it, it's not going obviously now that we have it, it's not going Mm away.
2: I think it's really a momentum killer as well because you know every close play is going to be your made. Mhm.
1: Yeah. It is. Ed, as I said before, love your interviews. Now, gonna uh, if you had the opportunity to interview the the following players that I'm going to mention, give me give us one question um, that you would ask each of these people. Okay. Ty Cobb.
0: I would ask. I would ask Ty Cobb. Uh, do you think that you were a dirty player?
1: How about Babe Ruth?
0: I would. I would ask Babe Ruth. Did Did you ever miss pitching after you made the transition to uh, the outfield?
1: Mm-hmm. Uh, John McGraw.
0: I would ask John McGraw. Did you ever smile in the dugout one time in your life?
1: <laughs> Jackie Robinson.
0: Oh wow! I would ask Jackie Robinson: Was there ever, was there ever a time on the field where it just seemed like it was too much?
1: Mm. Yeah, I wonder how he would answer that. And last, Cy Young.
0: I would ask Cy Young: uh, Did you ever have a sore arm? <laughs>
2: <laughs> You're yeah, right. 511 wins. That's uh... <laughs> and, and he has yeah, over 300 <laughs> losses. Yeah.
1: Right, something we'll never see again. Never. Which brings us yep. to uh, another question, which uh, I, I think. Well, I don't know how you're going to answer, but will we ever see another 300-game winner? No,
0: I don't even know if you're going to see 200-game winners. Wow. They are. Uh, they are on a campaign to devalue the uh, importance of the starting pitchers, and uh, no, I don't think we're going to. I don't think we're going to see that. No, I think. Uh, We'll be lucky to see 200. I, 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 right now, I think CC Sabathia is going to be at the top of the mountain in terms of win, in terms of terms wins uh, for the foreseeable future.
2: All right. So well, let me ask this. Are managers beholden t- to the pitch count? I believe they need to see uh, – I believe uh, – you know, they have like 100, 100 pitches is like the magic number. Uh, personally, I believe that manager needs to see the pitchers if they're pitching under stress or not under stress. What happened to going out and asking how the pitchers feeling? But now, automatically, hundred pitchers—you know—practically, you're out of the game. What's your feelings on that?
0: I want to know who came up with the hundred pitches. Yeah. Yeah. I find I find that extraordinary. Who who came up with the hundred pitches? And that going past, they're bigger and stronger than ever before, uh, as we've seen in the last fifteen or twenty years. I mean, these are these are just—they're huge. Physical specimens, these pitchers, and yet they, uh, so many of them I don't think really know how to pitch. Yeah, uh, we have perverted the game with, with, with this orgy of velocity, uh, going back to high school. The kids don't get signed unless, uh, unless they throw really hard. You're not going to see a Tommy Glavin out of Massachusetts or a, or a Greg Maddox out of Vegas or, a uh, kyle hendricks uh get signed because they don't they don't throw that hard but i i don't i don't understand where the hundred pitches comes from and uh, uh I, I i come from a time where the uh, you'd look in the paper or you'd hear on the radio well uh colfax is pitching today at, in the, against the mets or or Marischal's coming in with the giants and you went to the ballpark because you wanted to see those guys live. And now, uh, with openers, uh, with taking pitchers out after five games, that's largely lost now.
2: Yeah, I mean, uh, quick story. In 1984, I was an intern for the Mets working under Jay Horowitz. And one of my jobs was to write down the pitcher's line. We didn't have internet, obviously, back then. And to write down the pitcher's line for each pitcher that pitched the previous night. And if you saw more than three names in in the pitching line, you know that was that was a lot. Uh, today, it's you know six, seven, eight is, is like the norm, which is really terrible. Which...
0: Right, you go to the ballpark, you see uh, you see between eleven and fourteen pitchers. I remember talking at the time at which you were at the Mets, uh, Ed Lynch was there, and I, I did an interview with Ed Lynch within the past year, and he was talking about the fact that uh, somebody got bombed at the Mets and got knocked out early, and he came out came out of the bullpen and threw seven in the third innings, right. Now it's not like that. Now it's just a succession of guys. If you're down eleven to three, and they're gonna they're gonna bring in a new guy every single inning.
2: You mentioned that today's players are bigger, stronger, and faster than ever. Uh, but is the game being played any better?
0: No, I don't think so. I, I absolutely not. No way. There's there's so much teaching going on at the major league level, uh, which should have been taught. Uh, Long before then, guys throwing to the wrong bases, uh, guys not throwing the ball properly from the outfield, Uh, the the diminishing of outfield arms. There's so few outfield arms that uh, are are arms that you can't run on. And, uh, no, in terms of fundamentals, not even close. Not even close.
1: Ed, what's what's the best outfield arm you ever saw? Who had the best uh, arm? Um, probably,
0: without giving this a lot of thought, um, well, it, if I can give you a, a couple of names. Uh, yep. Certainly one that comes to mind is Jesse Barfield. Okay. Uh, it, uh, in uh, Yankee Stadium, that was uh, incredible. Uh, Winfield, when he was playing right field. But um, I saw Vlad Guerrero as a rookie with Montreal... At Shea Stadium one night, Todd Hundley was on base for the Mets. Somebody hit a ball to the base of the wall, and Vladdy picked it up on the warning track and threw on the fly to home plate. Hundley wasn't running hard because he was sure he was going to score, and that that was one of the most incredible throws I've ever seen. Plus, uh, Ichiro was an, an amazing, I saw him make an amazing throw in Yankee Stadium. Uh, for Seattle, he was great. And then back in the day, Reggie Smith had a tremendous arm uh, for the Red Sox.
1: Now, Ed, I'm, I'm going to tell you, we, when we found out that you had agreed to come on our podcast, you know, we, we, we want to be as professional as possible. But there's a part of us that's like, we're going to be interviewing Ed Randall. Can you believe it? <laughs> so, you know, I, I know it shocks you, but we, we're trying to be professional. It, well you're, what, do, you're doing a great job thank, you. thank what's, you what's the have you ever had an interview where you know you had to be professional but there was that part of you that just you know was kind of the fan and just you you couldn't believe I'm interviewing this person
0: yeah just tell somebody the story that you just yesterday the day before um, I did a television show for 12 years also called as the radio show which followed Ed Randall's Talking Baseball. And uh, we, we did the show for uh, 14 years, and we did 530 half-hour interviews. And uh, I, rem- I was just telling the story to somebody the other day that uh, I had Yogi in the chair one afternoon. We broke for a commercial break, and I remember just wandering off in my mind and saying to myself, my God, a foot and a half away from me is Yogi Berra. This is pretty good for the kids from the Bronx, meaning me. <laughs> that that was one of the uh, one of the times where it was like, oh my God, this is really something. So we come out of the commercial break. I welcome back the audience. Welcome back, to Ed Randall's talking baseball. My guest is Yogi Berra. Yogi, everybody said that. You were in a notorious bad ball hitter. And without skipping a beat, Yogi goes, Eddie, they all look good to me. <laughs> and I thought, man, this is the guy, you know, when you get to a fork in the road, take it. I mean, he, he really says this stuff. And, and also another, uh, another moment was uh, uh, sitting uh, within a foot of Ted Williams, interviewing him at the All-Star Fan Fest on my show in San Diego. And him leaning, his leaning his his right hand on my knee as I did the interview.
2: Wow, you know that's a, that's a great segue because I, I, on my on my list of questions was I once heard you tell a story of how you got started with that uh, Ed Randall talking baseball c- cable show. It wasn't it White Plains?
0: Yeah, a good the, memory. I you, yeah, uh, I started the show in uh, public access. Television, uh, which gives the First Amendment a bad name, because everybody can walk in and do what they want. And uh, we started the show in public access television on Mamaroneck Avenue in White Plains for about a year and a half. And uh, somehow, some way, I would drive up uh, Tony Gwynn, may God rest his soul, and uh, Steve Sachs and uh, Steve Boros, may God rest his soul, who was the manager of the Oakland A's, and uh, Bobby Valentine came down from Connecticut and Willie Upshaw, who I'd never met came down from Connecticut, and yeah, we did the show for a a year and a half in a very small studio with uh, three cameras and no cameramen behind it, no camera persons behind it, and then we decided to
1: take it commercial.
2: Well, it was a great smashing success, I know that. Ed,
1: what's the one interview that you never got to do, or you would love to do, or maybe you've actually interviewed everyone you've ever wanted to, but...
0: No, there's a there's a few, there's a couple that got away. Uh, the the answer there is uh, it's uh, A and B in no particular order. Uh, Joe Dimaggio and Sandy Koufax. I would have I would have loved to have sat down with with Dimaggio, and I think I think he would have respected my work uh, and my preparation. And and Koufax just doesn't do interviews, mm. and I I would have loved to have interviewed Sandy Koufax.
2: did didn't you once have Eddie Murray, who didn't do interviews, but you got him on your show?
0: Yeah, I got uh, Eddie Murray uh, came on my show. It was the first interview he had done in 10 years. Um, I'm as proud of that as anything that I've ever done on the air. It took a year's worth of work to get him, and he was gracious and wonderful. And at the end of the interview, he said, I'll be happy to come back. And we still maintain a relationship to this day. So I'm very, very proud of having had him on.
2: That's fantastic.
1: What's the funniest interview you ever did? I mean, All not, right. the, not um, that baseball's funny, but... Oh,
2: the, you'll, you'll be better at it. maybe
1: that was the funniest.
0: I think, uh, well, uh, I'm sure something else will uh, something else will come to mind. I uh, I did, an, not on the television show, but recently I did an interview with Steve Blass, who's retiring as the uh, longtime voice of the Pittsburgh Pirates, and of course pitched before that, and uh, Steve is just a wonderful storyteller and he's very funny and uh that's that's the name right now that comes to mind
1: yeah we we didn't we didn't prep you with these questions so
2: that's okay <laughs> so re- these really are just coming off the top of your head you mentioned sandy koufax and i know we're getting uh uh late on time but how, how fast did, uh, he was a little before my time i, mean, I was you know, a little kid when he pitched when he retired when was he? Uh, how fast of a pitch was he? If if they had a, a radar gun on, on him, was he over hundred?
0: Oh no, I, I, I don't think anybody was, but uh, I'm, I'm sure he was in the. Uh, <clears throat> I'm sure he was ninety three to ninety five. Mm-hmm. With his uh, I, I'm just taking a guess here because we don't we don't we didn't have guns back then, right. but he, he had to be ninety three to ninety five at least. At least Ryan was beyond Ryan was beyond that, but uh, yeah. Sandy was probably at, at least ninety three to ninety five, and maybe more. Who knows?
2: I wish I uh, would have seen Sandy pitch. Uh, my favorite player growing up in my generation was, was Tom Seaver. Uh, mm-hmm. He's uh, unfortunately has now been diagnosed with dementia and, and won't be able to attend a sixty nine reunion at at Citi Field uh, in June. Um, but he was just. Uh, has to be top five six pitches don't you say
0: he was he was as good as it gets
1: yeah and he should have gone into the Hall of Fame unanimously but that yeah was, well many of them should yeah, yeah. What, what do you think about that whole thing with the Hall of Fame and and now Mariano is uh unanimous but my feeling is if you're a Hall of famer you're a Hall of famer and and that's it. How, how do you feel about that, Ed? You know,
0: Judge Oliver Wendell Holmes, when he was sitting on the Supreme Court, said uh, they asked him about pornography, and he said, I know it when I see it. <laughs>
2: right,
0: and exactly. and it's the same thing with baseball players. Uh, you, you watch guys and you go, that guy's a Hall of Famer. And uh, that was uh, certainly the case with Mariano, and with, everybody is thrilled because he's such a wonderful human being. Forget about the fact that he's... The greatest relief pitcher ever. He's just a fantastic human being, and and gets and is the first to get one hundred percent. And now I think there's going to be a trend toward that, and we may see Jeter or get a hundred percent for the next vote in uh, this uh, coming January.
2: Yeah, I think you're right. Well, he might not get the, the vote out of Miami the way he's. Uh, <laughs>
0: well, you know, twenty-three people left Willie Mays off the ballot.
2: That's unbelievable.
0: Yeah. Uh, and there's, there's a bunch of stories like that. DiMaggio didn't go in his first year. It, it, right. it, there's horror stories about guys that uh, had to wait
2: to go in. You know, we we uh, talk about uh, Hall Famers like that on our on our show. Then uh, we've mentioned that we can't believe that Joe DiMaggio didn't go in first ballot, and it ne- right. needed Yogi Berra. It, it, it's just unbelievable. But that's just a major, that's... eleven
0: guys left Hank Aaron off the ballot.
2: Yeah, I... yeah, we, it's, it's, it's unbelievable. Anyway, Ed, uh, we, we, we thank you very generous of your time. Thank you very much. Where can anybody check out the uh, Fans for the Cure um, uh, the website and if they want to donate to that uh, wonderful charity? Well, thank you
0: for that opportunity. Uh, they can come to fansforthecure.org using the numeral 4, that's F-A-N-S, followed by the, the numeral 4, then the words thecure, T-H-E-C-U-R-E.org.
2: And uh, you, I, I've been on that re- that site recently, uh, and you have an events, some events coming up as fundraisers, correct? Yes, we do. Great. And anybody want to check it out, please uh, check out fansforthecure.org. org. It's a wonderful, wonderful uh, charity to uh, definitely support. Ed, thank you so much for your time. Yeah, thank we really you, appreciate Ed. it.
1: Yeah, really. Do. Guys,
2: great being with you. Thank you for having me. Thanks,
1: man. I enjoyed that. Uh yeah, me too. <laughs> wow. Now that was that was good. That thank, was
2: Thank you, Ed Randall. Very gracious to come on our show.
1: Thank you very much, Ed. And like I said, you know, when I was talk- when we were talking to him, you wanna be professionals, but we're not professionals. <laughs> we're fans. You know, that's why we, we're talking about two things we love. And to get a guy like Ed Randall on, who probably knows more about baseball and has seen more baseball
2: than we'll ever know. Yeah. Yeah. It's incredible. Incredible. All right. What do we got? You know, A lot talk made me hungry. You know what I'm in the mood for? What? I don't know. Some, some, some barbecue corn.
1: Oh, oh, I have just the recipe for you. You do?
2: Yes. Oh. Yes. How about that?
1: Yeah. Okay. So, guys, this is from Taste of Home. It's an it, online magazine, yeah. I guess. Yeah. I will confess, I have not made this yet, another, but I will be making this. Another confession, huh? Okay. It's another confession is good for the soul. I can't wait for you to make this. And and I don't know if I'll make it exactly as they say, but well, okay. So it's called bacon-wrapped corn. And this person says, this Lori Bramble of Omaha, Nebraska says... After one bite of this grilled corn on the cob, you'll never go back to your old way of preparing it. The incredible flavor of roasted corn combined with bacon and chili powder is sure to please your palate and bring rave reviews at your next backyard barbecue. Okay, Ooh, bacon. Look at the picture. Yeah, it looks good. Wow. All right, so this is how they do it, guys. doesn't look difficult at all. So in this recipe, they take eight large ears of sweet corn, husks removed. Obviously, you don't need to use eight okay they have eight bacon strips so you know adjust accordingly just
2: as needed (laughs)
1: right (laughs) okay i might i I might actually have four ears of corn but stick with the eight strips of bacon (laughs) or maybe maybe eight strips isn't enough i mean i want that corn to be totally wrapped right twice twice. okay but seriously folks um And then two tablespoons of chili powder. Again, I would adjust that as... Just a taste. Right. And then it says, Wrap each ear of corn with a bacon strip. You place on a piece of heavy-duty foil. You sprinkle with chili powder. You wrap securely, twisting the ends to make handles for turning. You grill the corn covered over medium heat 20 to 25 minutes or until corn is tender and bacon is cooked, turning once. And I guess you should be able to feel it, instead of unwrapping it to see if it's tender, you could probably feel it through the foil.
2: Right. It's, right but it might right, be right. hot. So uh-huh.
1: so you might want to put a glove on or something and you could feel it. Or you might want to pierce it with a fork or something. You could tell when it's tender. Right. All right. And that's it. Yeah, that is it. Basically, so, that's it. Try it out, guys. Let us know what you think. Um, I'm gonna give it a try. See how it is. Look, at that got some ratings. Yeah, got some. It it got some ratings, which is what we hope you're gonna give us. Yeah, some ratings. Yeah, a lot of good ratings for this. So give give it a try. And corn on the cob is great. Now, if if you want to, as long as we're talking about corn on the cob, and I was just saying to Jeff, it's not really corn season. Although I did see a sale on corn at the uh, stop and shop. It was like five years of corn for $2. But corn is usually uh, is, is more in the summer. 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 Right, it's a summer, summer vegetable or starch or whatever you call it. I really would talk about this later in the summer. But since we're talking about corn, a great way to make corn on the cob, on the grill, is to take, take your your husk take your take your ear of corn with the husk on and the silk peel back the husk a little bit so that you can get that silk out you know the that silk that's at the top and right. it comes out okay so you want to you take that silk out and take a couple of layers of the husk off cuz you don't want it so thick that the heat doesn't really get to it but keep the husk on keep the silk in there you know keep, you you don't have to take all the silk out Put it on the grill over direct heat. Turn it a few times. You know, you're going to see it start to brown. Uh The husk is actually acting as a protector. Because what a lot of people, if you look up uh, corn on a grill, you're going to see people that say, oh, take the husk off and wrap it in foil. You're going to see people say, oh, soak the corn in the husk for a half hour, you know, in a big pot or an hour. You don't need to soak it. Guys, if you keep the husk on, it has like a natural uh, almost like a it's a protector, you know, and there's a little moisture in there. So what happens is the corn will cook with the husk on it, and the husk, and, and the husk will prevent it from burning. And then, when you take it off, be careful because it will be hot. You cut off one of the ends, and you can just peel the, the husk right off and the uh-huh. silk off. and it's great, it's great, it's very, very uh, sweet. Yes, very sweet. Uh, I think the husk adds some sweetness to it. Okay. Yeah. Don't, and the other thing is, during the summer, you don't need to boil your corn. Just put it right on the grill, right? Yeah, on the grill. You really don't need to boil it. You know, I, corn is its just so good, so
2: sweet. Uh, but anyway, we'll, we'll talk more about corn during the summer. And you know what's coming up. Memorial Day weekend. It means the official, unofficial start of summer and barbecue season. Yeah. And we'll have, well, we have uh, an episode
1: on, we'll have this episode. Will there be an episode before that? Yes, there will be. Okay. So we're going to talk about, we'll have to talk about some uh, Memorial Day recipes, things you're going to cook. Right. Because you can cook everything then. But a lot of people go with hamburgers and hot dogs yeah, and chicken. Yeah,
2: that's easy stuff. Let's get a little fancy. Right.
1: Uh, or if you're going to cook something like chicken. Let's go with Duck. <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> or Goose.
2: A Goose, right. <laughs> All right, let's move on. Okay. So, Len, it's almost more Day, like I just said, you know, a couple of weeks of Memorial Day. Right. And what would you, Yogi say? It's getting late early out there, right? It's getting late early. But you know what the surprising thing about this year's baseball season? The American League East. The Rays, who are in first place, but the Yankees. The Evil Empire. The Yankees are doing very well Yes uh, Despite this lineup on a DL Okay Geo Carl Stanton on a DL Aaron Judge on a DL Aaron Hicks on a DL Jacoby Ellsbury on a DL Well,
1: wait, hold on Can I just say one thing? It's not the DL It's the IL The IL Right. I stand corrected. Okay. Thank you. And Jacoby Ellsbury has been on the
2: IL when it was Was the DL. DL. (laughs) That's true. That's true. Troy Tuoluski on the IL. Didi Gregorius on the IL. Greg Bird on the IL. Luis Severino. James Paxton. Jordan Montgomery. uh, Chad Green. Dylan Benhansis. Chance Adams. I mean, these guys are on the DL. You can form a great team mm-hmm. just of them, and, and the Yankees are still
1: winning. And Andrew Hart just got off the IL, right? Right. Yes, he did. Yeah.
2: So you know, only Gary Sanchez came off the IL as well. Mm-hmm. He, he's the everyday catcher, but you know what? They're just doing so great despite having all those injuries.
1: Yeah. So okay.
2: So the question is, what, what are they doing? Right.
1: Well, I okay. That that's the question. Is it really that you just put on a Yankee uniform and you
2: win? You, you might, it might, you know, the Yankee outfield to start the season was, what, Stanton, mm-hmm. Hicks, and Judge. Right. You know who's playing out there now? Garner, Mabin, my, and Mike Tuckman. Mike Tuckman. Not, not a clue. Gio Ushella is, is, was filling in third base for, for Miguel Andujar. You know, Gio Ushella, who uh, John Sterling says is a great fella. <laughs> when he hits a home run, <laughs> so he's he, he's out there. It's just amazing how they're doing with with, with these guys who are you know on who, who's on a DL. So you're giving them credit. I'm giving them credit. Believe it or not, you know they they have a uh, Jay Happ who's pitching pretty well. Yeah, CeCe Sabathia, who can only go five innings, He's really like right. the other day. He only went five innings, right. and he barely made five innings right. at, at there. Yeah, but um, he's 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 getting close to two hundred fifty wins. He is, and uh, he'll he'll probably get in the Hall of Fame. Although it's not a lock. Although some people say it's a lock, well, I think he's a lock. No, uh, I I think he's a lock. Well, I think he has a name. Uh, but yeah. you know, he, I don't think he, he's the, the lock. I mean, you know what? If you're taking CeCe Sabathia at his best. With David Cohn at his best, I'm probably going with David Cohn. At their best, um,
1: at their best. Okay, well, let's see. Uh, CC won the Cy Young. Yeah, once. David once, but then he well, CC might have won it twice, but he got traded. To right, didn't he go over to the right. the National League? Right. right? Yeah. So he had a great year, but because of that, he couldn't. He he didn't have the you know
2: the stats and were split. Right. Um. But I, I think he will get in. I don't think it's a lock like some people think it is. Yeah. You know. Well, um, oh, wait. Yeah, I'm just curious. Uh, you mentioned David Cohn. Oh, so in the best.
1: So in David Cohn's best year, you would take David Cohn in his best year over CeCe Oh, in yeah. his best year. Uh,
2: absolutely. You know what? Johan Santana at his best. Mm. Now, I know okay. Santana did not have a long career. Right, right. He obviously did not have as long as Sabathia. right. But at his best, he was better than uh, than CeCe. Uh, he actually had two Cy Young Awards.
1: Here's Well, here's the thing, though. Mike Mussina in the Hall of Fame. He is, but it okay? took him a while. Understood. I'm not saying CeCe Sabathia gets in on his first ballot. Maybe he does, maybe he doesn't. But if Mike is in the Hall of Fame, there's no way CeCe Sabathia is not in the Hall of Fame. Because CeCe Sabathia best year better than Mussina best year.
2: Absolutely. And when he was in the National League, he he went every third day when the Brewers were going down uh, I think it was two thousand eight, I think, where he uh going every third day mm-hmm. and he was batting. So yeah. he was a real workhorse back then. Yes, yeah. No, I, I What does he have? Three
1: thousand strikeouts. He has now? Three thousand
2: strikeouts but you know what? Compared to everybody else, he you know, the strikeouts are so devalued these days because you have more hits than strikeouts.
1: Yes, but he but C C D Pitched a lot of his strikeouts back when they meant something too. He did,
2: yeah, uh, but yeah. You know, he crosses over. He, he, he the, does you, cross over. You know, the last what six seven years, you know he really piled up the strikeouts because right. oh. everybody was striking out.
1: Yeah, but if also if you want to believe that you know he pitched during the time when a lot of the players were juicing. Yeah, you know uh-huh. then he also got you know wins in a time when it was harder to get them. Okay, him. so we're debating this, right? Well, okay. You well, you don't think CC no, is a Hall of Famer?
2: But I don't think he's a, a slam dunk lock like oh, some yeah, people. I, I, because yeah, I guess if I do. You're, if, if you're debating yeah. it, right? Okay, it so you're if, right.
1: So well, but you heard what Ed said. Yeah, it, you Ed know, I think
2: he's in, in the whole thing Yes, right.
1: And and you know, it's a uh, what do he say the 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 test eye um, test? Yeah, the eye test. Well, it's funny though. The eye test with CC. There's a part of his career. Where the eye test says no issue at all. But there's a part of his career where you could say, well, kind of, you know, compiler
2: stuck around. I mean, you know what? I'll give you another one. Felix Hernandez, at his best, is better than CC. At his best. Oh, King Felix, yeah. Yeah, yeah. But give CC his due. He did stick around, and there's nothing to say for that. Uh I mean, he's only going five innings now. You Mm. know, now he's just, you know, he's just limping to that 250 win mark right. i mean last night when he uh i mean when on may may 6th when he won his that, that game he barely got out of the fifth inning yeah but these days look at how old he is right how old is he he's see? 39 okay he's 39 going to be thirty nine. okay
1: and he's pitching five innings five innings That's but there it. are these younger guys that are pitching six maybe yeah you know five six seven at most yep and they're a lot younger than he is the, the trend now is just that they're not pitching as long. Right. You know, I expect a guy who's 39 to do five innings, you know, that, that to get five out of him with a bum knee, and he just had the heart surgery and all that. To, I expect five innings. But I don't expect a guy who's 25 years old or 26 years old to go, you know, five innings. They
2: should be going six, seven, eight, nine, but, That's enough. Forget, but you know what? forget that. But the Yankees have been doing very well this year. They they're yeah. really surprising everybody yeah. with their the way they play. The way they're playing. And uh kudos to them. Yeah, no, you
1: can't you definitely can't fault them. It's a they play in a tough they play in a tough
2: division, although the Red Sox haven't been that great, but I will say this though, the Yankees have only won three games, I think, against right. teams with winning records. So you know what? They're doing yeah. what they're supposed to do. Right. Beat up the teams that they're supposed to beat right, up, but that's and that's it. So if they
1: can play 500 against the, the above 500 teams and they beat up on the others, you know they, they might have a chance, right? At least even if they don't make the playoffs, you know they're going to make it exciting to the end, right? You know, the so the other team in New York, they're the team that it gets late early.
2: <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I tell you what, those 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 Rays, those Tampa Rays, they're not going away. No. They're a good team. No, they are a good team. They're a good team for over a year now, you know, between yeah. last season and this season. Yes, yes. They are. And who's on their team? I only know Blake's now. They have youth. They have youths on youth. their team.
1: Youths. Youths. They have youths. That's, that. you know, that's... They have youths. <laughs> that's And that's the trend now. That's why these guys should, are getting their money early. Right. Right? They're signing these extensions, early, you know, Early. Because they realize when they get to free agency, unless they're, you know, a Trout or a Harper or... Well, and you know, then, you know,
2: Trout didn't make it to free agency, but, but the Harper did and Machado right. did, yeah. Right.
1: That they're not going to get that kind of money. Right. Who was the guy that just signed... Albies, um, right? Yeah, for 35... He signed an extension for $35 million, Yeah. And they're getting on him because uh, he, you know, he should have held out
2: or he shouldn't have signed for that. $35 million is a lot yeah, of money. Exactly. It's, that's not going right. to... That's not chump change.
1: Yeah, crazy.
2: The guy was uh, came from a very poor, poor uh, country, yeah. and now he's a multi-millionaire who's uh, taking care of his family for generations. Exactly, exactly. Uh, but yeah, so you're right. The
1: Yankees, we give them a lot of credit. We know we have some uh, die-hard Yankee fans that are uh, listeners of this show. You guys know who you are. You're always telling us that uh, we don't give the Yankees credit or, you know, that we're Yankee haters or whatever. But especially, and the person that brought this topic up was Jeff, he's giving them the, their due. So Yes.
2: So, if you have any questions, comments, give us a call, 516-855-8214. Email us, baseballandbbq at gmail.com. Leave a comment on our Facebook page and please rate and review us. We'd love to hear from you. Hope you guys enjoyed the interview with Ed
1: Randall as
2: much as we did. Alright, until next time, this is Jeff and Len, signing off. Remember, 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 then, remember, then, remember, remember, do remember me?